Tulsi Maharani Ki Jai, Samaveta Bhaktivrinda Ki Jai, Gaur Premanandri. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to Sri Guru and Gauranga. All glories to Sri Prabhupada. Nama Om Vishnu Vidaya Krishna Prashtaya Bhutale. Sri Mati Bhakti Vinata Swami Niti Namini. Namaste Saraswati Deve Gauravani Pachani. Vandeham Shri Guru Shri Vitana Parakamalam Shri Guru Vaishnavam Shacham Shri Rupam Sagrajatam Sagana Raghunatham Vitam Samasajivam Sadvaitam Sadvaditam Parijana Sahita Krishna Chaitanya Devam Shri Radha Krishna Padam Sagana Lavita Shri Vishakam Vitam Shacham Manchapapatri Vishakam 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 Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya So it is January 4th, 2020 in Hillsborough, North Carolina. Oh, yeah, 2021, yeah. No one knows if that'll be any better. And everyone's so happy. We're reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 10, Chapter 23, Text 6. Hey, Bhumi Deva Srinuta. Krishna Sya Desha Karina. Raptam Janita Badrambo Gopano Rama Choditan Hey Bhumi Deva O earthly gods Shrinuta Please hear us Krishnasya Adesha Of the order of Krishna Kaninaha, the executors, Praptan, arrived, Janita, please recognize, Bhadram, all good, Vahal, unto you, Gopan, coward boys, Naha, us, Ramachoditan, sent by Lord Rama. So it means um, translation, BBT translation. The coward voice said, O earthly gods, please hear us. We coward boys are executing the orders of Krishna, and we have been sent here by Balaram. We wish all good fortune for you. Please acknowledge our arrival. Let's look back at the Sanskrit for a minute and just see the order here. So because the translation is in a little different order. So they're saying, Oh, please, earthly gods, hear us. We are the executors of Krishna's order. And uh, please recognize that we have come here. All good fortune to you. And then they're saying, We're the coward boys sent by Lord Rama. Um, oh, this is text 6. I just got a message to somebody. Didn't know what text it was. 
purport. The term Bhuvi Devaha, gods on earth, refers here to the Brahmanas. So this BVD purport is going to focus entirely on that word, Bhuvi Devaha, who are supposed to closely represent the will of the Supreme Lord. The philosophy of Krishna consciousness is not a primitive polytheistic doctrine holding that human beings on the earth are gods. Rather, it is a science that traces the descent of authority from the absolute truth himself, Sri Krishna. The authority and power of God naturally extend along with the extension of his creation, and on the earth the Lord's will and authority are represented by purified, enlightened men called Brahmanas. Now, it's interesting that none of the Acharyas picked this up at all. And I was thinking about the fact that preaching has to change somewhat according to time, place, and circumstances. That when our acharyas were commenting on this verse, uh, they were commenting basically to people in India, and they weren't trying to destroy some idea in the West, some mistaken ideas about Hinduism in the West, whereas this was written in more modern times that people might misunderstand that saying, means that we just think that we're all gods. So going on with the BBT purport, this account will illustrate that to ritualistic Brahmanas approached by the Calvary boys were not at all properly enlightened and thus could not appreciate the position of Krishna and Balaram or that of their intimate associates. In fact, this pastime exposes the pretentious position of so-called Brahmanas who are not faithful devotees of the Supreme Lord. So let's go back to the verse. Hey Bhumi Deva Srinita, Krishna, Krishna Sya Deshakarina, Praktam Janita Badram Bhogopa No Ramachodita. So the coward boys said, O earthly gods, please hear us. We coward boys are executing the orders of Krishna. We have been sent here by Balaram. We wish all good for you. Now actually that's what they said, we wish all good for you before they said you come by Balaram. Please keep that in mind. Please acknowledge our arrival. So, can anyone notice anything interesting about what the Calvary boys say here? In regard to text 4, this is text 6. Well, they're saying Krishna sent them. <laughs> they're saying that, that Krishna sent them, that they're, they're executing Krishna's orders. And what do we know from text 4? Yes. So they do end up saying that, uh, but they say it afterwards. Hmm? They say it afterwards. So if we're going to look first at uh, Jiva Goswami's Tika, his commentary. And his commentary was they addressed the Brahmanas with devotion. They mentioned Krishna first because their main attraction is for him forgetting the order that Krishna gave him. So they forgot that Krishna said, don't, don't give my name, just give Balaram's name. Balaram was the main sender, however. Covering their mistake, they say good fortune to you out of respect. So they're like, oh, gods on earth, please hear us. Krishna sent us, oh, all good fortune to you. Uh, we've come from Balaram. So that's how Jiva Goswami explains uh, this particular verse. 
And Sanatana Goswami, it's also quite short, says they spoke with devotion, O gods of the earth. They mentioned Krishna first, though they had been instructed to mention Balaram first. By nature, they had special devotion to Krishna and identified themselves as his servants since he had given the order. Not seeing any respect given when they spoke, they thought they had committed offense and asked forgiveness. So this is a little different take on it. So they say something and then the Brahmanas ignore them. Brahman, these Brahmanas ignored them completely. They didn't look at them, no body language, nothing. They acted like they weren't there. So here they're acting, the all good fortune to you. So Jiva Goswami says that's a way the coward boys have of covering their mistake of saying Krishna. And uh, Sanatana Goswami says this was a way of trying to pacify the Brahmanas that maybe they offended them. Good fortune to you. Or they said this since it was natural for any person making a request. So if you're going to ask a request of someone, you may first praise them or wish them well. Why have you servants of Krishna come? We have been sent by Balaram. By the order of Krishna, Balaram sent us. They were devoted to both, but were more devoted to Krishna. This shows that Krishna was greater than Balaram. Or ordered by Krishna, we came inspired by Balaram. So both of them sent us. They did not follow Krishna's order out of devotion to Krishna, and thus mentioned Krishna first. Does that sound strange? They did not follow Krishna's order out of devotion to Krishna. And thus mentioned Krishna first. The power of both of them is indicated by their names, which are famous and glorious everywhere. Thus we, his servants, have come by his order and not on our own. So generally speaking, we can understand devotion to Krishna by whether or not somebody follows the orders of Krishna. This is the main demarcation given in the 16th chapter of the Bhagavad Gita between the demons and the devotees, that the devotees follow scripture and the demons don't. Scripture is the order of Krishna. Yes, that's how we know the order of Krishna. I mean, he might come in front of us and talk to us and give us his order. Uh, that may be there. But generally we know the order of Krishna from Shastra, even if we want to say from the sadhus and guru, the sadhus and gurus are taking what's in the Shastra and exemplifying it or personalizing it for us. But ultimately it's in the Shastra. And that's how you know who's a demon and who's not a demon by whether or not they follow the orders of God. Srila Prabhupada, uh, at one particular time when he was having a mock debate with disciples about uh, many people who claim to be Christians. And they was asking his disciples, how do you know whether or not somebody is a real Christian? And it came down to, are they following the orders of Jesus? Are they following the instructions? This, this is, it's a very simple thing. You know, if we want to talk about sincerity, like a lot of people say, what does sincerity mean? Well, first of all, you show up. You know, you're there, just like we're teaching about Jishastri class, and we take attendance, and we see who comes. You know, if somebody never comes to class, and we do give them the option of watching the video, but if they never come to class, or if they come to class and they never participate in the class, if they don't do the 
the science of Krishna teaching. If they don't do the assignments, as a pin, uh, in, in preparation for the class, then we can understand their level of sincerity maybe a little less, right? If we ask everybody, so before the class, do this and this and this, and they don't do that. Right? I mean, it's, or one of the biggest problems with the Bhakti Shastri exams, most of the time when students get questions, answers wrong on the exams, it's because they didn't read the directions. It, it's really interesting. You know, they'll, they'll give an answer that wasn't called for. You know, they're not actually answering the question. They're answering some question that's in their mind. And, and even, you know, Champa and she tried to put everything, you make it super clear. If it's a three-part question, have the three parts separately and in different boxes and tables. And still we have people who just, like, they don't read the instructions. You know, they, they just say, oh, here's a question. I'll just put an answer down. So, that's, that's some lack of sincerity and some lack of devotion, isn't it? Right? Like Prabhupada always gives the example that if the spiritual master asks for water and you bring milk and you think, well, milk is nicer than water. But if the spiritual master asks for water and you do a different instruction, there's some lack of devotion. Does this make sense to everybody? You know, just like a, there was a time that somebody was really pressing Srila Prabhupada about why 16 rounds. Why 16? Why that number? And the only answer Prabhupada gave is because I said so. Because that's the instruction of the Guru and therefore you have to follow. We can't find answers from the scripture, but I found it interesting that Srila Prabhupada gave that answer. And I often say to people who have taken initiation, there's some potency in following the order. There's some potency. You might say, well, you know, four attentive rounds is as good or whatever. But there's some power in following the order and it's some measure of devotion. It's a measure of devotion. You know, I remember many years ago when we lived here previously, I remember two of my godbrothers discussing, one of them said, my heart's always at the temple. And the other one said, why don't you bring the rest of your body? <laughs> you know, so if we say, Gurudev, Gurudev, I love you, I love you, I love you, and then we don't follow the instruction, you know, oh, I love Krishna, and we meet in all religions. We're not picking on Hindus, but, you know, I love Jesus. I mean, I remember in, in, in Boston, it was at a Sunday feast, eons ago, in the, it was the 75, 76, and I was talking to this one woman, she said, I'm a disciple of Jesus. And I said, suppose you didn't tell me that. If I just looked at your life, how would I know? And she said, you wouldn't, it's all in my heart. So this is nonsense. It's just utter nonsense. You know, if you're a disciple of Jesus, there's some evidence in your life that you're following his instructions. And the same thing people, you know, in any religion. Oh, I love Krishna, I love Krishna. What are you doing to follow Krishna? Oh, it's all in my heart. You know, it's, it's, just, it's just rubbish. So generally, we can understand love by following instructions. And I was thinking of some particular examples, like when Yudhisthira refused to lie. He put his own sense of being a moralist 
above Krishna's instructions. And that was indicative that his love wasn't as high class as, say, uh, Vasudev, who who broke his promise to Kamsa of the order of Krishna. Yeah, Yudhisthira is still a great devotee, but there was some deficiency there, after which his chariot touched the ground. Or Karna, where Karna found out that he was the first son of Kunti, both from Kunti and from Krishna. And then Krishna said, you know, join with your brothers. They'll accept you as the oldest brother. They'll even make you the emperor. And Karna refused. He put again something higher. He put some mundane morality higher. He said, I made a promise to Duryodhan because he made me the king of Anga. And therefore, I have to honor my promise to Duryodhan rather than follow your instructions. A similar situation happened with the washerman in Mathura, which is a wonderful story about this in the Chaitanya Bhagavad I told before, how for many, many lifetimes this jiva was asking to see God. And then when God appeared before him and said, give me the clothes, he put above that instruction his loyalty to King Kamsa. And he said, no, these are Kamsa's clothes. I have to give them to him. And he disobeyed the orders of the Lord. And in these cases, we can see that one can measure love by obedience. But here we have an opposite situation where love is measured by disobedience. Now, that doesn't mean that we should all say, well, we're on the platform of the coward boys, and therefore we can disobey out of love. Therefore, we can disobey all the moral instructions of the world and... I mean, devotees have thought like that. We can lie, we can cheat, we can steal because it's all for Krishna. And that's a measure. It, it, seriously, you know, and, and it's, it's a measure of our, of our devotion. I mean, I, I remember when, when we opened up O'Hare Airport in Chicago to read books. When I first went to O'Hare, it was just with Back to Godhead magazines and we were all wearing, you know, saffron, polycotton, yards, eight, nine yards of cloth. And we were just running up to people with Back to God in magazines and here, sir, take a book about love of God. Here, take a book about love of God. You know, and we would get 25 cents for the magazine. And then the BBT party came and they trained us up in doing big books and uh, eventually they put us in like suits <laughs> and the brahmacharis were wearing wigs. And so that was going, we were doing a lot of big books, but then there were a lot of pressure from the temple authorities. More, 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 more. And so some devotees started lying and cheating. And I mean, I would watch this going on and I'm like, woo! And because of that lying and cheating, we eventually got kicked out of all the airports. So people thinking like that, you know, well, we can lie and cheat uh, because this is a measure of our greater devotion. So we shouldn't think like that, but sometimes... That's the case. So I thought of a few examples. One is of Gadadhar Pandi. Gadadhar Pandi had made a vow of Kshetra Sanyas. Now, Kshetra Sanyas doesn't necessarily have to be something done with a vow, but it means that you, take, you stay in a holy place. Instead of being a wandering sannyasi, you're a holy place living sannyasi. And it's interesting that Sarvagoma Bhattacharya, who is still living with his wife, and his daughter and son-in-law was considered to have taken a kind of Shetra Sanyas, I guess as a Vanaprastha, that he was staying in Jagannath Puri. And I have some friends who've taken vows like this in Vrindavan, you know, they won't leave the Vrindavan area. 
So Ganada Pandita had taken a vow of worshipping the deity and saying Jagannath Puri, but when Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu went to travel, Ganada Pandita was so much in love with Lord Chaitanya and so much incapable of living in separation of Lord Chaitanya that he followed him. And Mahaprabhu told him, go back, go back. And so then what he did was he went on a different path so the Lord Chaitanya couldn't see him. <laughs> and then, you know, he met up with the party again. And then Mahaprabhu said to him, okay, 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 you've already broken your vow, you've proved you love me, now go back. And then he did go back. Uh, we have, of course, uh, instructions of, breaking instructions to people who would normally represent God, like Bali uh, breaking his, the order of his guru, but that was to follow the order of God, so that was a little different. We do have two other instances, I can think, of people disobeying Krishna. One was Rukmini, where Krishna said to Rukmini, now you should leave and find another husband. You know, she could think, well, that's the order of Krishna, I should leave and find another husband, and instead she fainted, right? And then it was, it was interesting, because then he said, oh, I had wanted you to argue with me, so then she argued. Then she did obey and she argued. And of course, the uh, epitome of people breaking Krishna's instructions out of love are the gopis. And it's fascinating because Krishna speaks, practically speaking, the same verse to the gopis as he's going to speak later on in this chapter to the wives of the brahmanas. If you look at the Sanskrit, it's practically identical, and Krishna says, go home. Serve your husbands, take care of your children, do your household affairs, go home. And the wives of the brahmanas, they do it, and the gopis, they don't. They say, we're not going anywhere. They say, we're not going home, that's all. You know, as we talked about the other day, many of these gopis were Sadhana city gopis. Some of them had been sages in the forest with Lord Ram. Some of them had been the personified Vedas. They had waited billions of years to dance with Krishna. You know, after the Lila we just read, the Vastaharan Lila, Krishna says, next year I'll, I'll dance with you. Then he calls them to come, and then they come, and he says, no, forget it, go home. And they're like, no, we're not going home. <laughs> so they also disobeyed Krishna out of love. Now there is one instance in which we in the Hare Krishna movement, are supposed to disobey Krishna out of love. And in fact, we're supposed to do it every day. So let's turn to chapter 3 of the Bhagavad Gita. Krishna says here in text 26, so as not to disrupt the minds of ignorant men attached to the fruit of results of prescribed duties, a learned person should not induce them to stop work. Rather, by working in the spirit of devotion, he should engage them in all sorts of activities. Then to text 29, Bewildered by the modes of material nature, the ignorant fully engage themselves in material activities and become attached. But the wise should not unsettle them although these duties are inferior due to the performer's lack of knowledge. So we know that Krishna at the end of the Bhagavad Gita says don't preach this knowledge to those who are not austere. Right? He says preach it to the devotees. He says for one 
explains the secret to the devotees. There is no one in the world more dear, nor will there ever be one more dear. But don't teach it to people who are not austere. And here in the third chapter, he's also saying, wise people shouldn't unsettle the ignorant. So then Shiva Prabhupada says in this purport, Men who are ignorant cannot appreciate activities in Krishna consciousness, and therefore Lord Krishna advises us not to disturb them and simply waste valuable time. But the devotees of the Lord are more kind than the Lord because they understand the purpose of the Lord. Consequently, they undertake all kinds of risks, even to the point of approaching ignorant men to try to engage them in the acts of Krishna consciousness which are absolutely necessary for the human being. So, Srila Prabhupada, and of course, Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is Krishna, are telling us, don't follow this instruction of leaving ignorant people alone. You know, uh, in, in New York and in London, London, they have Harinam Sankirtan three times a day. I mean, I don't know if that's going on now in COVID, but generally three times a day. I mean, to the point that if any advertisers want to epitomize London in their commercial, they make sure they get the Harinam party in the background. Because the Harinam party is so much a part of the scene. In London, on Oxford Street. And then Saturday night, we have a Maha Harinam party. So on Saturday night, we can have up to 150 devotees. They'll come from the manor and all over the place sometimes even two or three hundred devotees. I mean, on the weekday Harinam, we get anywhere between three to like twenty devotees. And we go through the theater district. You know, we had the 55th Street Temple, we would do the same thing on Saturday night, we'd go through Broadway. And you know, the theater district on a Saturday night in London, do you think those people are very austere? Not at all. Are they primarily ignorant? Definitely. And we're giving them the holy name. I mean, you can understand they're engaged in eating fish and eggs, taking intoxication, having illicit sex, and gambling. I mean, that's what they're doing out there on the Saturday night. And we're giving them Krishna consciousness. We're giving them the holy name. We're distributing Srila Prabhupada's books. We're distributing prasada. We invite them to come to the temple. You know, I found it also fascinating in Soho Street. They have three levels of prasada distribution. One is Govinda's restaurant, very nice buffet restaurant on the ground floor. Then at the same time at lunch, there's a prasada program in the temple room where we're distributing maha prasada for free. And there's a little class. You don't even have to come to the class. You could just come for lunch. Then down the street, there's Food for All, where we're distributing massive free food for homeless people and so forth. And they attract different clientele. It, it always amused me that people would pay to eat in Govindas when they could come upstairs and sit on the floor and for free have prasadam, but different mentality. So it's not that all these people, again, were austere or not envious or out of ignorance. So we understand there why Krishna is giving that order. Krishna is giving that order. Don't disturb. Because he doesn't want to put his devotees into trouble. He knows that it's going to be trouble. And risk. 
There's risk. Prabhupada would talk about how Jesus Christ was crucified because he preached. Right? We have Haridas Thakur who was beaten. And we have devotees who were imprisoned, tortured, beaten for preaching. Right? It's a risk. Somebody might even just punch you in the face or insult you or right? It's taking a risk because we are dealing with people who aren't necessarily eager to hear that message. In fact, they may be opposed to it. And Krishna's saying, no, don't, don't put yourselves at risk. But the devotees know that Krishna wants everyone to achieve transcendental knowledge of him and transcendental love for him. That's his real desire. They know that that's the desire of the Lord. And so therefore, we have this as our mission every day that we should be doing something to bring Krishna consciousness to the world. No, that is part of the essence of our Hare Krishna movement. We're not just a movement for our own sadhana. We're not just Bajananandis. It's not that you couldn't be a Bajananandi and still be a member of ISKCON, but that's not our main focus. Our main focus is outreach. Our main focus is helping the world, and the world is in need of a lot of help on every level. I mean, it doesn't matter how you think of it in terms of anything. If you think about it as the environment or the animals or the you know, business situation, political situation, educational situation, this craft situation, on any level of society, there's a great need for infusion of spiritual consciousness. So therefore, Prabhupada says, the devotees of the Lord are more kind than the Lord. Now that's, that's a little funny statement because how can any devotee of the Lord be more kind than the Lord? <laughs> and the Lord is infinitely kind. But the Lord is trying to be kind to his devotees. So here the coward boys are disobeying. It's not a calculated disobedience. They're just so much in love with Krishna that they can't help it. They're just like, Oh, gods on earth, we were sent by Krishna. Oh, good fortune to you, we were sent by Balaram. <laughs> you know, they just, they just can't help it. They're so overwhelmed uh, with Krishna. So in that sense, we should also be like that, that we can't stop thinking of Krishna, we can't stop talking about Krishna, uh, no matter what are the constraints of our society and what are, what are other, other principles. But generally speaking, uh, generally speaking, we show our love for Krishna, we show our love uh, for Guru by obedience. And we shouldn't claim that I'm on some ecstatic platform and therefore uh, I can be disobedient. So, questions, comments? Yeah. Yes, Mama. Uh, one, uh, one addition and then a question. So, the addition is that, that there's another instance where you can disobey your spiritual master. Oh, yes. Because your spiritual master tells you to get married, Prabhupada said. Yes, yes. So just repeating that for people online. So Rabbi Krishna Swami was saying, you can disobey your guru if he tells you to get married. Of course, the example of that is Lord Brahma telling the four Kumaras to get married. And he said, no. Prabhupada said, you can disobey the Lord. And uh, Bhishma also disobeyed Parasana. Yeah. Yes. And then the, the addition of the other one is a question. Yes. So you can actually stop, stop teaching. This is a stop so, teaching question. Okay. So, 
he carried so much ecstasy, they just remembered Krishna. And then finally they remembered, oh, we're supposed to say, you know, we're upset by Ram. So it's because the devotees were so much in ecstasy that they have this cognitive dissonance that they ignore the facts, let's say in Mayapur, that the, uh, the virus is being spread and you don't need, and they think, well, Krishna's going to take care of us, we're coward boys, or, you know, members of Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's society, so we don't need to wear masks, we can be close to each other, hug each other. Oh my goodness, asking me a politically charged question <laughs> on a recorded broadcast class. Yeah. That's not fair. No, I think it's an important point because it, a lot okay, of Okay, so Maharaj is asking if, if devotees in some places who aren't taking the precautions about COVID are just doing so because they're in ecstasy. It's, it's interesting, you know, the coward boys, again, we have a coward boy example, when they see a gasura and they're like... They march into the mouth. Yeah, they, 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 <laughs> they say, it's a big snake waiting to eat all of us. Oh, that's okay. Krishna will save us. You know, we have a, the children's song, Krishna will save us, Krishna will save us. And they all just march into the mouth. And Krishna's out there thinking, I didn't want them to do that. What are they doing? But the coward boys were thinking, even if it is a snake, it'll be a time for Krishna to, to uh, show his heroism. Right, but we're not supposed to walk in the street in front of, you know, cars with our eyes closed or drive blindfolded or something like that and say, well, Krishna's going to save us. You know, Prabhupada says, God, God helps those who help themselves. I was thinking on, the, on this question in, the, in regard to hermeneutics. That when Srila Prabhupada spoke a lot against science in the 60s and the 70s, that was a time in the world when people basically thought that the scientists were gods and that modern technology was going to save the world. I mean, when I was six years old, I was told that when, when I got to be 20, we'd all be living on the moon. And that science would have eradicated all disease between antibiotics and vaccines, that there wouldn't be any diseases by the time I was 25. And that they would have conquered old age and death. So there was a lot of, you know, refrigeration. I mean, my parents grew up with iceboxes. That's where you put like a piece of, of, of ice into a box. <laughs> And, you know, my father grew up with the horse and carriage going on the cobblestone, you were born in 1913, going on the cobblestone streets to deliver the dry ice for the ice boxes. You know, they remembered when telephones were installed. I mean, I remember when television happened, when I was about three. In New York, we had four stations only. And then we broadcast during the day, and then we broadcast either cartoons or live programming. So, you know, we thought that science and technology was going to be the saviors of mankind. It was the new world religion. And Srila Prabhupada made a lot of heavy comments against science and technology. And I was really thinking about this in preparation for the Hermeneutics lesson we're going to be giving next Saturday, about when people look at Srila Prabhupada's books, you know, people outside our movement, it's, it's a lesson on preaching, and they may say, well, that's wrong. That's either just, it's not a fact, or it's morally wrong. And the concepts of what are facts, 
and concepts of what are morally right and wrong change over time. So some of what Srila Prabhupada spoke that was considered highly controversial in the 60s and 70s is now accepted as fact or as morally correct. And some of what Srila Prabhupada said that was just considered common knowledge in the 60s and 70s is now considered as wrong or as morally incorrect. These things are constantly changing. And I see that devotees who are very much steeped in Prabhupada's, you know, don't just follow the scientist's view, may think that therefore we can just negate all of science. That's how they've interpreted it. You know, Prabhupada was, was aiming at a particular view, which frankly is not so prevalent now in 2021. This concept that science and technology is going to make a perfect world. People don't think that way so much anymore. So that's what I see it coming from. I see it coming from just like we don't want to follow any of the scientists and we don't believe any of them. Yeah. These are Bengali devotees. These are not steeped in Prabhupada's books. These are people just thinking, you know, we have faith in the holy name. No, that not, that's not my experience in, in that place, in that part of the world. My experience there is that like when we would talk to the devotees there about how to have proper agriculture, they're, they're simple people, you know, from Bengali villages. Their response would be, we don't believe any of your Western science. They'd say, all your Western science is superstition. Yeah. So it may be that they're saying we're just depending on Krishna, but a lot of it is also this view that any, any scientific idea that comes out of the West is nonsense. Some of that may be racism as well. Yeah, that's... The devotees are not getting that so much from Prabhupada's book. The devotees who are there, you know, yeah. Well, it may be also racism. That, that you know, if it's coming from America, we don't like it. So that's also that, that's also a problem. <laughs> <laughs>